my lovely parent friends. And apparently we are still friends. And on episode 57 of the Teen and Tween Parenting Podcast, aka figuring shit out. And that's really all we're doing. And I think this podcast is probably good for anybody because really we're all figuring shit out and we all have relationships and our relationships are ones that need to be worked on. And we generally get to work on them by managing our own mind and deciding what we want to think on purpose and being intentional about it and matching our energies to the kind of energy that we want to see in the world, we want to see in other people, how we want to be treated, so on and so forth. So it starts with us. It is the only thing we have control over and then continues out. So part of the way to do it, and we had spoken about breath series early on, is to be able to slow down your thoughts and control your breathing. And through that, you can actually decide something different. And so one way to slow it down is through intentional breath. The other way is through meditation. And I actually meditate through breathing, but people meditate in many different ways. And then the other way that I had spoken about in my book before is to pay an intentional focus by one of your senses, any one of your senses, whether it be seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and so on. So once we pay the kind of attention to a focus related to a sensation in our body, it takes the thinking brain away and back to the amygdalic brain or the one that actually will tell us what to do. So, so sometimes our brain's thinking and even the unconscious thoughts go back to a place where it's not conscious and it brings it back to something conscious which can actually make us make more decisions that make sense. And those I called positive parenting reps, or some people will call them positive intelligence reps. But I like to do that with the breathing and I like to do it in a very particular way with the breathing. So you have intentional breathing exercises for the last probably about six or so. So you've got six breathing exercises, but now we're gonna use our sensations or one of our senses in order to notice the breath. So I like to use my sense of hearing and lately I haven't been able to sleep really well. And so what I'll do is I'll lie in bed and I will breathe through my nose and I'll listen for the breath. Now, how often do we listen to our breath? Almost never. And I will hear the breath going in and out. And when I'm listening to the breath, usually my mind will get off of whatever the racing thought is that I have that I'm paying attention to and somehow ingraining in my brain in a way that will continue it. It's almost like the momentum of a snowball going down the hill and bring it to some place that actually will slow things down so that I can relax. So what you're going to do is you're going to breathe in through your nose and you're gonna listen for your breath and you're gonna breathe out through your nose and listen for your breath. Now you can breathe in through your mouth and listen for your breath there and that will even take you to a different sensation and a different sound. So in and out with the breath that you're listening to. So either way, you can do all of those things either at night before you go to sleep, in the morning when you wake up or when you're really irritated or upset. You can 
intentionally practice listening to your breath. Now, it seems like a small thing, but there have been a lot of studies that have shown that when you actually intentionally listen to your breath, that your brain will be focused in a different area than it was when you're thinking. And the vibration of whatever your brain is recreating those thoughts over and over again, or whatever thoughts give you some kind of negative vibration in your body will change to something else. All right. That's what I got for you today. So you are going to intentionally listen to your breath. All right. So what is going on in Nome? I don't have very much time today. I'm going to be heading off to the small fishing village that I go to during the months that I'm here. And usually when I'm there, I don't have a lot of time, but I will have time to podcast, which is really great. And I'm sure that I will have wonderful conversations with people that we can think about, somehow learn about, and then share with you new and different thoughts related to whatever an old belief is. And that's what we're doing. We're switching those thoughts that have been placed or installed by an old belief either by the people that we lived with, that raised us growing up, by the culture that we live in, by the class that we are, by the sex that we are, and so on. So I had some interesting patients this week. Um, a couple of patients who had said to me, and these were with younger kids, so I think this kind of sets up the stage for our teens and tweens, that they wanted to make sure that they could sleep by themselves. And so either their child had been co-sleeping with them or coming into bed with them or staying with them as much as possible or their parents had been staying with them until they fall asleep. And they really felt like there was something not right about that. That there is some way in which their kids would not be able to sleep alone. And because they couldn't be able to sleep alone, they were equating that with them not being able to be independent and somehow needing their parents forevermore. Now, I find that really fascinating because in most cultures, there's not even enough space to have your children sleep alone or sleep in their own room or have a room by themselves or even a bed by themselves. But the other part about it is that the nighttime tends to be a really scary time for young people. So if you've got monsters under the bed, they're definitely happening at night. If you see a shadow going across your room, either from an outside light, then that's usually happening, happening at night. If there is something in the closet that you don't know what's going on, then that's also happening at night. So the nighttime tends to be a scary alone time where things are dark. And people always talk about the darkness being a time where things can sneak up on you or bad things can happen. Or people who are sinister will come out at night and somehow not during the light of day. So the night is particularly scary. And what we're doing is we're asking our young people who are trying to figure out their way in the world to be alone in a room at night when things could possibly be scary. And if they come out and they stay with you, that there's something wrong, that they somehow cannot figure out how to be alone. Now, us adults, and I've kind of learned to sleep alone just because I was told that I had to and I wanted to, but most people don't actually like to sleep alone. 
and the adults don't like to sleep alone. So if you're in a partnered family, whatever that may look like, that you are generally not in a bed by yourself. And so we adults don't want to sleep alone, yet we're expecting somehow that our kids are sleeping alone. And we're expecting that they sleep alone probably for a couple of reasons. One reason is that somehow we think that will create independence in them with this idea that sleeping alone is the gateway to becoming independent, or that there might be something weirdly sexual going on, that they're in our bed in some way. So, and I, I think that's, that's kind of related to the puritanical Judeo-Christian thinking that we have, or that somehow the people who are sleeping together, the adults can't have sex either with kids in their bed or they won't want to, or that will put a wedge in their relationship. It's just, it's really fascinating how we figured that out. Now cultures have been doing this forever and still creating other lives and having sex, that's for sure. But, and, and I think part of the reason why we want our kids to be independent or have their own rooms is, is partly related to capitalism so that we can buy bigger houses, kids can have their own spaces, and then everybody needs one or an independent thing to buy for each room that they're in, whether it be an independent TV. And I think that's probably true of houses too. So you, you're finding that families don't live together that much because it, it's almost like they need an independent space so that they can have their own house that they could be alone and they could buy an individual washer dryer and individual cars and anything else that they need. So I think that that's kind of the underlying reason why that's happening. But back to the independence of our children. So my thinking is that actually the way to create an environment so that our young people can be independent and then go off and live independently if they need to, or go and have experiences, is that they need to feel completely supported, loved, and backed by the family that they're living with in order to feel secure enough to go out and explore. And explore because of curiosity and determination and interest and that feeling of security that happens when your emotional needs are met when you're young. So my thought is that when a young person comes into the adult's bedroom in order to be there at night, that they are telling you that there is a way that they feel insecure about something. Now, we might not know what they're feeling insecure about. Could that have happened in utero? Could that have happened during birth? Could that have happened... At, at some point with something that they've seen, some image? Could it happen with something that happened at school that made them feel less than secure? And so they are looking for that type of security and closeness at night. And that doesn't mean that there is something definitively wrong. And it absolutely does not mean that they will be sleeping in your bed until they're 30 or that they're going to need you forever in order to go out and dip their toe again. But I do believe that if they come back and they stay with you and you stay close to them while they're in their time of need, understanding that there is something going on deeper than you might understand, and that being close and intensely loving and staying there while hard feelings happen is not a recipe for them 
to need you in uncomfortable ways as they got older, but actually a recipe for them to go out and to be adventurous and to try different things. And I know that's different from what people have been taught about raising their kids, especially raising their kids within the United States or in the Western world, is that if you send them on their own, if they do hard things by themselves, then they'll be able to do hard things by themselves in the future and somehow curtail the difficult times that might happen. The difficult times will happen no matter what, and they will have to deal with it. So us making them do difficult things by themselves without the kind of support that they might need does not guarantee that they won't be hurt in the future. It does not guarantee that they won't be anxious in the future. And it definitely does not guarantee that they will be independent in all that they do. Now, my children right now are 20 and 22, and I allowed them to stay with us as long as they needed to. Now, nobody wanted to be alone at night. Nobody wanted to fall asleep by themselves. Nobody wanted to stay by themselves. So we basically had the room of bed. So that means there was a king size bed and two mattresses next to them, and people slept in different configurations until they were ready to go. Now, some people probably thought that they would never leave. Now, why anyone would think that they would want to stay there forever, I don't know. But they absolutely did not. So by ages 12 or 14, they had gone off into their own room and kind of wanted their own space, although everybody really loved being in the living room and in the dining room and in the kitchen and finding each other. And generally, when they went off to their own space, I was not liking what they were doing anyway, because they were probably isolating themselves and hanging out with the social media. So us being together actually meant that they spent less time in social media and more time in activities that were social with us. So it's an interesting thing, wanting them to be able to sleep alone, but wanting to, for them to not be isolated in their alone activities. And I don't know if we can have it both ways. Now, I have no judgment as to what you decide to do. But I think that idea of deciding that if we send them off alone, to be alone either when they sleep or do hard things, that they're going to become independent is something that we get to question. It's something that we get to decide, does it make sense or not? And did it actually work with us? Have we become the independent, thoughtful, curious, interested, determined adults that we want to be in order to move our lives forward as best as we can? Do we feel supported and backed in ways that were helpful to us. So we get to decide that all the time. And we get to hold these beliefs up, up to the light of our thoughts and our thinking and managing our minds with the knowledge that this is the only thing we have true control over. And that the ideas that had come in previously might or might not have been useful to us in order to move ourselves and evolve into the versions of ourselves that we wanna see the most, that we think are the most enlightened, that give us the joyous and human life that we want. So I want you guys 
to know that you get to rethink and think again about all of these ideas and make them work for you. Decide, does it make sense for them to sleep in their own room or not? Does it make sense for you to stay there while they're falling asleep or not? Does it make sense for them to have to do hard things alone? Now, I was thinking about that because we used to do homework at the table and my kids were in originally a bilingual Mandarin English school. And so they went to school until like two or three in the afternoon. And then after that, from three to five, which was mostly kind of caretaking in a way, just because I was working for a good portion of it, but also they were learning Mandarin at the time would keep them at school till five. And then they had to come home and write like hundreds of characters in order for them to really learn how to write Mandarin and not just speak it. And so they were really bored doing those characters. So we had them at the dining room table and we would do really fun things. We would do Mandarin races. We would put pictures around the room. We would play games with it. We would do whatever we could in order to have as much fun as possible getting this done. Now, a lot of people would stay at the table and do homework and expect that their kids would do homework by themselves. But I thought that was so damn boring. And I couldn't imagine that was not boring for them. So just think about ways in which doing hard things for your kids might not be the best way for them to really feel like they could do something and move forward, but rather a way that almost feels like a punishment. I was thinking about that for myself. I don't want to do hard things alone. I know that I could go to the doctor by myself, but I know that I'd prefer not to. I know that I don't like cleaning my closet and I could do that alone but it's so much more fun and interesting for me to do it with my mom. I know that my husband struggles to clean his desk and I know he should be able to do it. And I know that should be important to him. And I could yell and scream at him about the fact that he can't, but it seems so much more fun to be sitting around helping him do it so that we can have a good time together. And that it doesn't have to come with a lot of criticisms and it doesn't have to come with a lot of, you should be able to do this because he just can't. That's a struggle for him. I don't know why. I know that doing dishes for him is not the funnest, easiest thing to do. I know doing dishes for my kids is not the fun and easiest thing to do. So why did they need to do it alone? And I think part of the reason why they would need to do it alone is because somehow we feel bad about having to do things by ourselves, that because it means something to us and because it's important to us, that we feel really like we're being taken advantage of. In some ways, we're being victimized, like that's important and I'm doing it and your life goes better because of it and you won't help me with it. So think about those things that are hard to do for ourselves and hard to do for our young people and think whether it makes sense to make sure that they can do it alone as a way to make them independent. Or is it something that bothers us in a way that we get to work on and we get to work on together? All right. 
that's what I got for you today. And as always, like, share, rate, review, send it to anybody you think needs the kind of support to help you stop worrying and fighting with your kids and to have a fun, fantastic, joyous life. Also, just so you know, we have a new podcast out. Me and Angie are doing the teen TV drama mamas. And basically we're through the first season of Gossip Girls and it's been so much fun. So watch Gossip Girls with your kids, binge watch this whole season, watch two episodes and then listen to the podcast and discuss, discuss from a neutral place about the difficulties happening for young people and their parents and their relationships and adults and their relationships with each other. And see if you can open up those lines of communication that actually will keep your kids coming back for more. will keep your kids talking to you about hard things so that they don't go off and talk to other people about hard things and get weird opinions about them and do self-harming behaviors and risky behaviors because they don't want to be able to feel anything. And they don't think that they can handle hard feelings. But I know you can, and I know they can, and I know we can do this together. All right, sign up for my newsletter at drnickynarodin.com for that weekly newsletter with tidbits of wonderfulness, snack-sized bites of what will make your lives go well and joyous. All right. I love you guys. Have a sliding on a slide, swinging on a swing. I just turned five And I can do anything You're just my size And I like your smile Could you be my friend? Let's swing for a while Come swing with me You know that I'd love to
in the western sky. 